Well, I'm grateful that the Lord showed up early and that everyone is, must have been very eager to have them, have him meet us here. So I'm grateful for that because the whole point of this is for us to meet God and to be in his presence and to be changed. And um, he's amazing. He amazes me every time. Tonight I am going to pose a few questions that I want you guys to think about. Um, so my topic is who's controlling you? And as we go through this, I just want you to keep that in mind, who is controlling you. And this is a question that we tend not to really ask ourselves or ever want to admit that we are being controlled because we all want to appear to be quite self-sufficient. When I admit that someone is controlling me or something is controlling me, then that then tells me who I've given my power to. Hopefully our desire is to uncover all the things that keep us from a life controlled by God. We often say that God is in control. Many songs say that. We are spirit-filled, so we say that the spirit is guiding and leading us. But really, where is the truth in that statement? Or maybe I should ask, what's the percentage of the time that God is in control? Do we really think that he is comfortable and okay with, and I'll go with a high number, 50 to 60% of the time, we allowing him to be in control? Do we think that that satisfies him, that we give him just that much of our lives? Even our churches are not God-controlled, but often man-controlled. It is man that defies when God has been there. It is man that says you should be excited or solemn. It is man that makes you act in certain ways and feel certain things are acceptable and not acceptable. Very few religious people know the difference between what God has actually said and what man has told them what God has said. So I'm going to look through some scriptures so we can see who and what should be controlling us. And then let's honestly admit if this is how we are really living. I think we have lived long enough in comparison to others, and we use others as our gauge for how saved we truly are. Our focus should be on the Bible and what the Bible says and what God has says how we are to be. Because what good is it if you tell me that what I do is condoned and it's okay Yet God says you have not even come close. Yet we get a lot of peace by man saying, I'm okay. And you can do that, and you can't do that, and you can wear this, and you can't wear that. You can go here, but you can't go there. And we orchestrate our whole lives by what a man has told us that God said. Yet the book is sitting in our laps, and all we have to do is pick it up, because he's quite clear in his directions. And it's quite simple. He didn't make it complicated at all. If man says something is big, 
bigger than the next thing. Because, you know, we have our categories of what is, like, on the top and what God would be really, can't say that, ticked off about. And uh, what's down here, and God's just like, oh, that's, we can let you get by with that. But what if God has it all equal? And everything under the cross is just the same. And you stayed away from the top things, but you always fooling around with the bottom things. You're still in the same place. Yet we pat ourselves on the back and we act like we've accomplished something. Because you didn't actually harp on those things over and over again, so I'm clear. We would be best to listen to God and have him tell us what it will take to be pleasing than to put all our trust in what man says. Man created laws and traditions to keep you under his control because they don't trust you to let God be in control. I think it started off actually very uh, benevolent. Let me create all this so that I can keep the people hopefully in line with pleasing God. But we added more and more and more and more and we started looking to man to give me direction and we forgot about God. It's the reason why he demolished law and gave us his spirit so we could live in freedom. But somehow we came over here and got saved and we are yet to find freedom. 15, 20 years in, some of us, and yet to find freedom. Yet the Bible often speaks of freedom, free, spacious living. Yet we live these confined, small lives thinking that we are pleasing God. So here is all of our dilemma. Romans 17, I mean 7, verses 17 through 25. And I'm reading from the Messenger Bible, so, you know, I like this little style. Sounds like me. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keep sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I cannot do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, regularly excuse me, that it is predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in this delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Now, if we are honest, we have all lived in this battle or continue to live in this battle. The most beautiful thing is that we have hope and assurance in God. He knew the limitations of the law and the stubbornness of our flesh. 
So he devised a plan to eliminate the restrictions of the law and a controlling agent for the flesh. We must stop reading the Bible as a folklore. Because that's what it is for most of us. We know the scriptures, we say it. It's like, you know, a phantom. It should work, but somehow it's not doing the thing. But we've got to live it. I think we have memorized the concepts of the books, but have failed in many occasions to take it for face value. The simplistic, simple words that the Bible says. We like to try to misinterpret it, make it deeper so folks can't understand it, so we can excuse ourselves from living the practicality of the word of God. God was practical. This book is practical. It is not hard to understand. It is not hard to live by. It's a choice that we must make that I want what God wants for me. Romans 8, 3 through 4. It says God went for the juggler when he said his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code weakened as it always was by fractured human nature could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we instead of redoubling our own efforts simply embrace what the spirit is doing in us. But what do we do? We continue to redouble our efforts. We continue to push ourselves, try harder, fast more, pray more, instead of letting the Spirit just guide us. That's what the Spirit was set there for. You cannot do it, but the Spirit in you can. Yet we have minimized the Spirit to be simply, I get to speak in tongues on occasion. Instead of this amazing, amazing, multidimensional Spirit that is in us, that is supposed to occupy every part of our being. We've made it come to speaking in tongues alone? What a slap in the face of what God has created. And we get excited because we get to speak, yet it does nothing else in our lives. And the only time I feel connected to God is when I'm on the floor speaking. The rest of my life, the rest of my days, the rest of my hours, I don't even feel like he's with me. He's supposed to be there all, you're supposed to always know he's there. You shouldn't have to muster up the tongue for you to feel like, okay, God hasn't left me. There's something wrong with that. And he demolished the law so we wouldn't have to be put in this pigeonhole. Yet we love the law. We want to be controlled. For then I don't have to be accountable for my actions. I don't have to think deeply about life or the implications of my actions. We want a step-by-step approach to living for God, and God wants us to be free and led by the Spirit. It is hard to embrace what the Spirit is doing when you have no clue of what the Spirit was sent to do and accomplish in you. So since we choose not to investigate, we create mantras, 
traditions, and rules to keep us in line with God. Our focus then becomes on ourselves and not the working of God. We don't want to give God that much control and power in our lives, so we stay in the control room and praise ourselves for being so saved and righteous. So if we are honest, we would admit that we rely more on self-imposed rules and regulations than the spirit-imposed rules and regulations. Romans 8, 5 through 14. It says, those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's actions in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Yet we want to stay in the little vestibule of life. We won't even enter into the whole building. We just stay right here. All of us crowded in there, stuck together, stepping on each other's toes and mad. So if God wants us to be controlled by the spirit, then what is the purpose of that? What has he promised to produce in us if we choose to become obsessed with Christ versus obsessed with ourselves? Because if we're honest, we will admit that we are obsessed with what we can accomplish. We are obsessed with how saved we can be week in, week out. That I didn't do this and I didn't get involved with that and woo woo, I had a good week. So we get up and we applaud ourselves and we're so excited. We can testify and we can shout and we can run and we can do all this stuff because I did it. Where is God in all that? Where is the praise to him? And not a simple, oh, I thank God for keeping me, but a true deep within your spirit knowing that there was nothing that you really did, that it was really all him. But we fail to give him that much credit because we don't want to give him that much control. We are stuck on being in control. And because we're stuck on it, we have edged God completely out. So we have created our rules, our mantras, our regulations in a form of Jesus, but no Jesus. You know, we have the form of godliness and we've put that on every other religion. Yet we deny the power all the time. The power? What is it? Have we ever really given up control completely and just walked in the power of God on a daily basis? I'm going to try to get there because after I read this stuff, I was like, foot, I got a lot of work to do. You know, I said, dang. Anyway, Galatians 5, 13 through 18. 
It says, for dear brothers, you have been given freedom, not freedom to do wrong, but freedom to love and serve each other. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love others as you love yourself. Now we hope that that scripture is not really true. We like, dang, is that the, I mean, we can sum it up in just this? The whole thing? All the commands? And to love others as you love yourself? Dang. Because look how far we are from that. Just the care of humanity. We're far. Yet we're so excited that we're saved. But if instead of showing love among yourselves, you were always critical and catty, watch out. Beware of ruining each other. A huge amount of Christendom, especially the born-again folks, are the most critical and catty, and we have truly ruined each other. You walk into almost any church that's the born-again folks, and you see wounded people, and wounded in the house, because we are critical and catty. And we forgot to read these verses, and when he said, watch out, because you're going to ruin each other. And we continue on with our foolishness, thinking God is pleased. We don't want people to live free. We want people to stay in control. Because the moment you step out of the order, you're messing the whole thing up for everybody else. So you must get yourself back in here, and if I got to beat you back in, talk bad to you, Make you feel like you're going to hell. I'm going to do all that to put you back in control. Freedom scares us. Like I said, we like being controlled because we all stay in the control room. Yet we're not controlled by God. And I think the reason why is because God's control, you can't see. And we prefer to walk by sight than by faith. We like the scripture. You know, we know what faith is. Yet we really don't want God to do his thing because I can't see what God's doing. I don't know what's around the corner. I don't know, you know, what he's going to do next. But if I'm in control and I let other people control me, I can predict what's coming because it's the same thing every year. Week in, week out, it's the same thing. But God, you know he's going to flip the script many times. And we like, come on, Jesus, stop all that. Stop all that. Move on to verse 16. He says, I advise you to obey only, only the Holy Spirit's instructions. He will tell you where to go and what to do. And then you won't always be doing the wrong things. Your evil nature wants you to. For we naturally love to do evil things that are just the opposite from the things that the Holy Spirit tells us to do, and the good things we want to do when the Spirit has his way with us are just the opposite of our natural desires. These two forces within us are constantly fighting each other to win control over us, and our wishes are never free from this pressure. When you are guided by the Holy Spirit, you need no longer force yourself to obey laws. Verse 22. But when 
the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here there is no conflict with laws. Those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil desires to his cross and crucified them there. If we are living now by the Holy Spirit's power, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Then we won't need to look for honors and popularity, which leads to jealousy and hard feelings. Now, have you personally nailed your evil desires to the cross? Personally, have you gotten up there with your nails and hammer and watched the desires die? as Christ died. Not just talk about, I know I need to get rid of it, and not just be disgusted with it, but have you nailed them to the cross and let them die as Christ died? The death will be agonizing. Remember, the path to the cross was a brutal path. It was a hard walk for him. It was a lot of pain. He even fell down and had to have somebody help lift him up. But when he got there, he accomplished what he was set to do. Therefore, he never had to walk the cross path again. You know if your evil desires have been crucified if you never have to walk the cross path again. You should not have the same agony and pain in letting it go. If the agony and the pain and all of that is still there, that means you never nailed it to the cross and watched it die. You might have nailed it, but then you took it back down because you didn't really want it to die. Now let us further break down what it means to produce the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, the fruit is not optional. Though people act like it's been optional all these doggone years of my life. Like, you can pick and choose what fruit you want to have. Either we are living in the Spirit's control or the flesh is in control. You can't have both. The, spirit, the scriptures say that when the Spirit controls our lives, it will produce this fruit. If you don't have this fruit that we're about to go over, that means the Spirit's not controlling your life. It's just really that simple. As verse 16 indicated, there is no need for a believer to display the works of the flesh. No need. Rather, by the Spirit's power, he can manifest the nine graces that are now listed. It is important to observe that the fruit here described is not produced by a believer. You can't produce this. But the Holy Spirit working through a Christian who is in vital union with Christ. You're only going to get this fruit produced if your union with God is essential for you. Now you've got to ask yourself, is the union essential for you? Is this something you cannot live without? Honestly ask yourself that. None of us need to know. The word fruit is singular, indicating that these qualities constitute a unity all of which should be found in a believer who lives under the control of the Spirit. 
In an ultimate sense, this fruit is simply the life of Christ lived out in a Christian. It also points to the method whereby Christ is formed in a believer. Has Christ been formed in you? Is he created in your being? Or do you still see too much of you? Supposedly the old you. He don't really want to blend together with y'all. He really want to just stand by himself in this, in this body and do his work. But we begging him just to let a little of us stay. Just can you keep a little bit of me? I like me. The first three virtues are habits of mind. Habits of mind, which find their source in God. Love is listed first because it's the foundation of the other graces. God is love and loves this world. Such self-sacrificing love that sent Christ to die for sinners is the kind of love that believers who are spirit-controlled manifest. This is why I have harped on, since I think the second retreat, the love of God. If the love is not your foundation, it is going to be almost, it will be impossible for you to be able to get any of this fruit. Is, your, is love your foundation or is fear? Your foundation instead of this salvation, is it love-based or is it fear-based? Do you accept and live in the fact that God is deeply and passionately in love with you and that his love for you cannot grow or diminish? Do you live in that fact that no matter what you do or don't do, that his love cannot diminish nor grow in your life? It just is. See, until we walk in that being, that love is surrounding me at all times, that his love never steps away from me, that it's hard for me to then let the spirit guide me when I think his aim is to harm me. The next one is joy. This is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing which was promised to those who abide in Christ. The question then is, are you abiding in Christ? If you're abiding in Christ, then you will have this inner joy. If you don't have it, you're not abiding in Christ. I'm going to try to make this as simplistic as I can. Joy does not depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control of all things. Inner rejoicing that God is in control so that I never have to lose the joy. And not a fake, false Smile joy, but a joy that is deep in my spirit that you may never even see, but I know that is there. The third one which is in the habits of the mind, peace. Peace is again a gift of Christ. It is an inner repose and quietness. Even in the face of adverse circumstances, it defies human understanding. Our problem is we want to understand it. I don't want God to have more knowledge than me. 
So I don't want to accept the fact that I can just have peace. So I'm trying to figure out, should I have peace right now? No, that seems pretty bad. I should be a little upset. Oh, we should be scared. So I kick out the Spirit's guide because I say, no, I don't understand why I should have peace when all hell is breaking loose. How often do you allow your peace to be stolen from you? Or better yet, how often do you give your peace away? Because it's usually given away. No one's really jacking us for our peace. It's just something we hand on to the next. So we have the first triad, which are habits of the mind. Which of these aspects need to be produced in you? The seed has already been planted. You need to be blossoming at this point. Is it love, joy, or peace? Perhaps all three? Again, these are not optional. If you say you were being led by the Spirit, you can't choose to have, okay, I have peace, but I don't have love and joy. Well, I'm a pig pitch today, but I'm gonna leave love and joy at home. It don't work that way. All three, habits of the mind. Remember, God is intellectual. So he likes to get into our brain because he knows that's where everything originates. If the mind is messed up, everything is messed up. So if our minds are full of love, joy, and peace, we already have a foundation for him to grow everything else upon. Remember, he puts things in order. It's the reason why he gives us the order he gives us. He's trying to create this foundation. Do not think you will fully accomplish the next triad without not having the first triad. You need the love, the joy, the peace. So the next virtue, the second triad, this reaches out to others, fortified and equipped by love, joy, and peace. So we already have the habits of the mind, now we're going into reaching out to others. So the next virtue is patience, which is the quality of restraint under aggravation. It entertains no thoughts of retaliation even when wrongfully treated. Now, it's not, I'm not saying that you won't have a thought, but the point is, are you entertaining it? Are you playing with it? Are you sitting there watching it like a series? It's a long series, too. And you add more to it each day? And you didn't, you know, magnified it? You didn't cut it up, put it back together? Hmm. When are the times you excuse yourself from being patient? <laughs> Daily. Daily. <laughs> Patience is hard. Yet, if I'm being controlled by the Spirit, I must have patience. I told you it's a lot of work. The next one is kindness, is benevolence, generosity, compassion, in action, such as God demonstrated towards men. Since God is kind towards sinners, a Christian should display the same virtue 
we Christians often forget that pure religion requires me to be kind to others. Requires me to be kind. Are you kind? Are you showing generosity and compassion in actions? Or do you talk a good game? The last one of the reaching out to others is goodness. May be thought of both as an uprightness of soul and as an action reaching out to others to do good, even when it is not deserved. So goodness, a brightness of soul, and the reaching out to do good to others, even when it's not deserved. Again, pure religion requires me to show goodness to others. Do you care about pure religion or are we satisfied with the tainted religion we foster and live in on a daily basis? The religion that we've created. The religion that says, I'm doing good enough. The religion that I tell myself, oh, I'm definitely gonna make it. Haven't done much wrong. But I have yet to accomplish just the first six. No love, no joy, no peace. No kindness, patience, or goodness. Yet somehow Jesus is just so excited with me. Because I happen to grace the pew week in and week out. Because I happen to get on my knee and say a little prayer and a thank you, Jesus. And he's pleased. And I know I'm going to make it to heaven. Yet I'm supposed to be led by the Spirit. We miss something. So the second triad is given to others. Where do you fail in these areas? Please make a note. Is it patience, kindness, or goodness? Or all three? <laughs> Again, these are not an option. They must be a part of us. Now, the final three graces guide the general conduct of a believer who is led by the Spirit. The first one is faithfulness. That is the quality which renders a person trustworthy or reliable. Do you think God looks at you and says, that's a faithful one? Can you honestly say I am faithful to God? That of what he has required of me as being his bride, as being his child, as being delivered from hell, that I have been faithful in all that he has asked of me. Am I faithful to God? Are you more loyal to God or to what man wants from you or to what your evil desire says is acceptable to you? And to boot, are you faithful to others as well? You can't scream, I'm faithful to God and I do God's work, yet you are constantly not faithful to anyone else. For our works with God must always be outwardly shown to others. Remember the sum of the whole command. Are you even faithful to yourself? We lie to ourselves. 
I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. This year is a new year. This month, I'm through. I just lied to them. I'm not even faithful to me. How the heck I'm going to be faithful to somebody else? And you know we ain't being faithful to God. Not what he requires is faithfulness. The next one is gentleness. Remember, this is our general conduct as a believer. We are to be faithful and gentle. Gentleness marks a person who is submissive to God's word and who is considerate of others when discipline is needed. To be submissive to the word, you would have to know the word. And this is a huge problem for most Christians. We have gotten too comfortable with others telling us what the word says instead of learning it for ourselves. So question, are you committed to learning the word of God for yourself? Sitting down, you in the good book, and learning the word of God. Not relying for Wednesday and Sunday and Thursdays and Fridays to roll around. But you commit yourself to saying, I need to know who you are and what you want from me. Are you quick to judge and kick others? Because we're quick to do that. We see somebody down, we just didn't give another blow. We see somebody that looks like they're a little faulty, maybe falling away from the distant shore. We don't try to lift them up. We don't try to bring them in. We just talk about them. Wow, look at them. Look, ooh. It ain't nothing to do with me. That's my business. Save yourself. Then that's when we want to get spiritual. Save yourself from this crooked generation. <laughs> but the whole command, all the commands can summed up and love others as you love yourself. Wiggle out of that one. I was talking to someone who had, had backslidden for a while and has come back and um, we were discussing just, you know, various things and he made the comment to me that no one called him. It was like two people that called him to say, you okay? You need me to look after you? Everything's all right? You going to pray? We don't do that with people. We just like, oh, I guess they gone. They didn't want to be with Jesus. They on their own. Even if they was with us, they wouldn't have never left. That's what's wrong with them. Where is the, the reaching out? When all Christ did was reach out to us. Every action was a reach out to us. Yet we get so pious and so judgmental and critical that we don't want to reach out to anybody. You can walk by and see some people just hurting and sad, and we just keep on skipping on by. And is God pleased when he sees us walk by, when he knows that he dropped something in our spirit that says that person is hurting? He told you that person was hurting, and you said, not today, don't have the time. I'm hungry. You know, where, where, where is the Jesus? Yet we're so spirit-led. Yet we always talk about the Holy Ghost. Full of the fire. Makes me just run around the building. 
can't stop. But I don't know how to reach out. You may not have the spirit of Jesus. You may have something else working in you. Because that's not Jesus. And we can lie to ourselves. We can get up and pretty it up. It's not Jesus. And we should be very dissatisfied with ourselves that we have yet to know the man. All these years in and out, coming in, hearing service after service, buying tapes and CDs, listening to church songs, reading on occasion, praying and fasting, yet I have not found who he is and what he wants from me. That's sad. I'm saddened that every time I get up and I'm looking up something, darn, why don't I know this? Why, I mean, why have I missed, it was right there? How many times did I read it? How many times did we go over the fruit of the Spirit? This is nothing new. This is not, this not even supposed to be a big thing. This is not deep. Yet, I don't have the fruit. And I'm in this for 20 years, and yet to be fruitful? Sad. Now, the last one, self-control. It is funny how he always puts this book at the end. Because I was, when I was reading this and going over it, it made me think of when I taught on Add to Your Faith and the list of things that you must add to your faith. For you guys that haven't heard, you guys should really get that. It's a great CD. But um, self-control is always thrown at the, like, I know this is going to be the hardest thing for you to be able to do, but must be accomplished. Must be accomplished. Self-control denotes self-mastery and no doubt primarily relates to curbing the fleshly impulses. Such a quality is impossible to obtain apart from the power of God's spirit. Yet we want to will it. It's not about our will to be self-mastered. It's about us letting God created in us yet we do too much working and keep him out this is why we lack self-control now we're out of control and it's whatever our vices are whatever our sins are that we like we are out of control we can get them keep them together for a hot minute and then the moment it feels comfortable they just battle on us and why is that it's simply because we're not spirit controlled we are into self. We are fleshly controlled. And we give ourselves excuses after excuses why this is okay. Have you mastered your core sins and vices? Are they mastered? Do you know your core sins and vices? Can you admit them? Say, this is what trips me up the majority of the time. It's not all of the Galatians, you know, that whole thing that I skipped over, because I figure we all know that really well. But it is, what is yours? What is yours that's not even listed in that group of sins? That you know good and will messes you up day after day. Have you nailed them to the cross and crucified them? It's not about you just knowing them. 
See, then we get comfortable saying, well, I know. And we like just, you know, coming to just talk about what we know. That's like poor therapy. You in there for two years talking about what you've discovered. I'm glad you discovered, but what has changed? We can't just keep talking without change. Yet that's what we do. That's what our prayer life is. Telling Jesus, I know I did this, and I know I got this wrong, and Jesus, can you help me? He like, dude, really? When are you going to change it? When are you going to get enough of the spirit in you for you to say, I'm going to nail it to the cross and no more with it? Because it is possible to kill it. It is possible, he said, you nail it to the cross and you watch it die. Why haven't we killed our stuff? Why do we keep resuscitating it? We put it down, it's almost dead. Just, it's almost dead, it's just right there. About to take his last breath and what do we do? Put it on the doggone ventilator. Keep breathing, I just need you around just a little bit longer, I'm not quite ready to let you go yet. Almost dead. And you're like, no, I can like that thing. It's a little comfortable. So we hold on to it. Now the scriptures prior says, before we even get to being spirit controlled, we gotta nail the stuff to the cross. And we wonder why we're not spirit controlled because we don't wanna nail it to the cross. I want the spirit to work and I want the flesh to work. Quite a paradox. Now, as a final note, those who live, I'm sorry, those whose lives are adorned by the above virtues cannot be condemned by the law. There's no restriction that can be put on you if you're being led by the spirit. If you have love, joy, and peace, kindness, goodness, patience, and other ones that I ain't thinking of right this moment, there is no law that can condemn you. There is nothing that can say you've messed up because your whole thing is being led by the Spirit. So then I get to be in control because I'm in control with Christ. Christ is controlling me, excuse me. That I don't have to then try to figure out, oh, can I wear that? Can I go there? Is it okay if I talk to him? Is it okay if I entertain them as my friend? Because I already know because the Spirit is just working in me. So I don't need you to tell me how I need to look. I don't need you to tell me where I can go and, and how to behave because the Spirit is talking to me. But the problem is we have not awakened the Spirit. The spirit is just dormant in, our, in, in us, just laying there. No water been put on it, no blossoming. That's why we don't have the fruit. Because the fruit needs water to grow. So we just got a little seed that been sitting there, some of us, 15, 20 years. That seed is getting tired of not being fed. And we're just hoping and pleading that Jesus didn't really mean this stuff. We are hoping that I really have to have nine virtues. I have to embody nine virtues in order for you to stamp me and say I'm being spirit-led. If I miss one or two, then 
Oh, can't put the stamp on you. That's deep. See, this is, this is deeper than you stopping some actions. Because once the actions stop, then what have you done? Who's leading you? Because if the spirit's not leading you, the flesh is leading you. And then you've gotten cocky because you think you're doing this on your own. I ain't smoked in two years. Well, what did he do for you? We're so happy for you. But, but do you have some love and joy and peace? Are you gentle? Are you kind? Are you generous? Do you even know what goodness means? Otherwise, hush. Hush about how spirit-led you are and how spirit-filled you are. Because it ain't feeling much of you. We got about a, a much spirit than our pinky toe. Because the rest of our lives, we just, just doing what we want to do. And saying, this is good enough. Well, Jesus, you will be pleased. Go on the show. Okay, for the whole purpose and design of the moral law of God is fulfilled in those who have the spirit of God. The whole purpose of all the laws that were created are fulfilled in the spirit. Why do we need so many rules and regulations? Because we don't want the spirit to guide us. Because we want to be controlled because we are ignorant and we are lazy and we don't want to do the hard work. We don't want to be free. We don't want to live this gracious, abundant life. And then we have the nerve to be mad at God for us not getting it. And all we had to do was let go of our control and let the spirit jump in. The spirit that he went and died for to be able to give us, that he took on all our sins, all the shame, just so he can just drop his essence in you. And we say, you could have kept that because I like the way I do it. Yeah, I like the speaking. That feels good. I like a little jolt every now and again. That we can all run around and, and jump and, mm-hmm. But we don't really want a life full of the spirit. Again, like I said in the beginning, what will it be like to be completely controlled by the spirit? That your every action, your words, your thoughts are just spirit controlled. What is that life like? And why don't we want it? Why don't we want all of Jesus? Why are we scared of having all of him? When our lives have most of us proven to be pretty mediocre. I mean, we really don't have just the best lives. Abundant and full and just, woo. So why not give Jesus a chance? And we figured we gave him a chance when we went down, got baptized, and, and surrendered to get the spirit. Now we just sit back and say, Jesus, do it. That was my surrender. Well, I stopped having sex. I stopped drinking. Do everything else. And he's like, you got to be kidding. Did you not pick the book up and read what I require? 
do you think I'm playing? I mean, I went through a lot. I think sometimes we don't get what he went through. He went through a lot to get us to be with him in heaven. And we act like it was nothing. Poo-poo on you, Jesus, but you better work for me. And the moment he seems like he's moving slow, we like, oh, see. There's my reason why I get to not have faith. He ain't that faithful. See, this is all stuff we say to ourselves, but we dare not say out loud. Yet, we want him to be magical. Just, we just want magic. A drive-through Jesus, meet my needs, do what I want you to do, and when I'm ready, I'll give you what you ask for. But you got to prove yourself to me. We telling Jesus, Jesus, prove yourself to me. We didn't got a little arrogant. And I'm not going to jump for you, and I'm not going to do what you want me to do until you show me how grand you are. You said you could heal the sick. Why well, I'm still sick? I mean, I'm, I'm just practical. And we wonder why our lives stink. Because we don't really have faith in Jesus. We just like the stuff. This has just become another way of living for us. We stepped out of one way, which we called the old way. And there's supposed to be a new way. And we, has got, we have gotten as comfortable and as lackadaisical and has become as uninventful as our old life. Yet we got more people around us and we just like to act out. This is why we don't need the law because if our lives are directed and guided by the spirit, we don't need external controls. We need external controls now because it's not guided. And that if some of us didn't have external controls, whew, we'd be in serious hell and high water. So we like the external controls. We complain about them. We fuss about them. But we are scared to live without them. Because that is what I measure my moral compass by, the cold. And that's why every church has a different code. And that's why every supposedly born-again believer looks different, acts different. Because they have a set, different set of codes. But they need their codes. Although we want to say, I want to be free, and I don't need nobody telling me what to do. Oh, we do. Because we're not in tune with the Spirit. So maybe you need a little something to keep you together. It's so sad that we choose not God and we choose man. Because who's controlling you? Then the sins we talk about endlessly in the above verses and all the other chapters that we quote sin, 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 we know them. You know, the sex and the drinking and the, all the other stuff that we throw out, stuff we've added, because that's part of our external controls. We wouldn't even need to discuss them. How do you stop sinning? 
What's the easy way to stop sinning? You embody the fruit of the Spirit. If you had the nine virtues, sin would not be an option for you. So we don't have to will it. We don't have to double our efforts, as the scripture has said. We just let the spirit get in control. Wow, I'm really not doing anything. I'm just letting the spirit do its thing. I, could, I don't have to be this tired. Hoping and wishing and praying certain somebodies don't come around. Hoping and wishing that the drugstore don't call me. Because I just have the spirit now. And that's what I lean on. Because your life is no longer being lived on your terms, but God's. This is what true freedom is. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 18. It says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord from his sins, then the veil is taken away. The Lord is the spirit who gives them life. And where he is, there is freedom. Freedom from trying to be saved by keeping the laws of God. But we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him. Can you truly say that you look like Jesus? That if it was Jesus and it was you, he would see himself. We are to become more and more like him. Why don't we see more and more Jesus as the years have passed, as the weeks have passed? Why do we still see the same sorry person? Because we don't want to be like him. Because life is all a choice. I choose not to be like Jesus. That's the true reality of it. So why choose the old way of doing things, being bound to sin and traditions? Choose to have the spirit control you. So I ask again, who's controlling you? And you cannot say Christ if you have not embodied the fruit of the spirit. So my last scripture, and I'm just going to leave you with this, give you a little something to think about, hopefully. James 1. In 21, it says, and I'm reading from the Message Bible again, so throw away all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener God landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you're anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are and what they look like. Don't forget what you look like after you've examined yourself here. Don't forget the fruit that you don't have. And walk away and act like, well, I got all nine. I'm spirit-led. Knowing good and well when you sit here, you felt like I don't have but one of them. Don't forget. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, 
is not distracted, scatterbrained, but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. So you no longer are content with just talking Jesus, quoting stuff, coming up with your cliches and your songs, but your life looks nothing like God. Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. How many of us have self-deceived ourselves? This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. He's not really that impressed that you happen to know that he is one God. That you've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Spirit. If you're not living the rest of it, you just like the rest of them. Discarding him. That's what he cares about. Has your life been transformed into God's? Whoop-de-woo that you did all the supposed requirements. All you did was walk in the door. He's not that impressed that you open the door and walk through it. He wanted to have a spacious, big life. Stop impressing yourself so much. Real religion, that kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. That is what pure religion is. So we had the command subbed up in one, love others as you love yourself, and then pure religion, that's how it is in, in uh, King James Version, it says pure religion, is that you reach out to those who are destitute and in need, and you guard against corruption. That's pure religion. Yet we think we got the pure religion because we know Jesus is one. And all the rest of the stuff don't matter. It's just the mother Trinitarians that don't know Jesus. How pure is your religion? The pureness of it is so contingent on the fruit of the Spirit. It says, my dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. Find God for yourself, who God wants you to be. What is he requiring of you? That takes you to be committed to finding him, alone by yourself, just you and him talking. If all the time you spend with God is at church, and in your 10 minutes of prayer at night thinking you're doing something. You've missed it. This book is too big. We've been in this game too long not to know simple stuff, not to know the basics. We're stuck on the basics. And we're so happy. We actually should be walking into the sanctuary saddened not gloating, not jumping up and down and praising ourselves, but sad that I've wasted all this time and I'm yet to meet you. Like I said, I am saddened by the stuff that I uncover because I don't know this. I'm not living this 100%. There's something wrong. 
And I can admit it. So I'm in need of a Christ to come and teach me. I don't have a problem saying I'm falling. I've missed it. But we get so self-righteous and never wanting to admit the fact that I don't even know him. There's something wrong with the lack of humility. That maybe I thought I was doing it right. But when I start searching for him, when I start running after him, he's going to reveal himself. He promised me that. He said, if you come after me earnestly, Honestly, if you're fighting for me, if you're chasing for me, I'm going to show up. I'm going to reveal myself to you. One of the, my favorite scriptures that I've been doing all this, it says, I want to give you the revelations from my heart. Revelations from God's heart. He wants to reveal his very heart to me. He says, I want you to have my eyes so that you see what I see. I want you to have my ears so you can hear what I hear. Yet we sit back and we're content with a bunch of foolishness and we think God should be happy with us and that I have the right to come and prance up and down the aisle, jumping and running. That's a slap in my God's face. How dare we do that to him? How dare we get so arrogant week in, week out, year in, year out, and we never grow? We never are transformed. God can never look at me and say, I see me. We've fallen. we failed. We are in sin. We are steeped in it. Yet we won't even go and repent for my God and say, I have messed up, that I don't know you, that I think you should be happy with my foolishness. He's not happy. We've got to do more. He has so much to reveal to us. Can you imagine the intensity, the magnitude, and the grandness of God's heart? Can you imagine what that is? And that he wants to reveal his heart to me? He wants to give me what made him go die. What made him create a plan so that I can be with him for forever. He wants to give me that. No strings attached. And I say I don't want that much of you. I just want the little bit that I have so that I can feel comfortable and I can just condemn everybody else and say, but I know I'm going to heaven. My, my plead, my, my heart is that we really examine where we are with God, that we really go deeper with him, that we don't have to be so structured and, and controlled by everything external, but we have no God control. Something's got to give. I hope I said something to touch y'all. I'm through.